Romans 11.33 For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's exciting to be here. Some of you are sitting at home with your fire blazing, and that's, uh, you'll watch this in a couple hours. That's fun too. Um, it's good to be here around the Word of God together. If you'll remember... Let's see if I can, maybe this thing will work this week since I switched the on button on. Uh, <clears throat> if you'll remember last week and, and for the last several weeks, we've been working out of Matthew chapter 2 and we've seen the Christ child as worthy of worship, being God. He is worthy of worship and namely the wise men were the ones who exemplified this out of that passage. We see true worship from them as they discovered his star. They set out on a journey to find him. Finally, they bowed low and they gave gifts, all in worship of him. And last week, I don't know if you were here or if you remember, but I, I put three concepts on the screen that I would like to work on today um, surrounding this topic of worship. It's a big topic and I'm, I'm hoping to gain a definition a working definition for us um, of our lives as Christians. And you can take this, and hopefully you will, and mold it to your life, your family, your small group, your context, and work with it that we might learn how to worship God better. It's not to say that we're not worshiping God, but this will hopefully help us in that walk of worshiping. Let's pray as we come to God's Word this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given. Thank you for the snow, the unusual um, scene as we go about our, our, our days and our ways. Be with those who um, are maybe stuck at home in a way and just bless them this morning, today, and even in the coming week. God, thank you that you care about us enough to call us. And thank you for your worth. I don't think I know what your worth is. But let us know that more as we go here, and then let us respond in worship to you with our lives. We just pray this in Jesus' name now. Amen. First, I want to, before we come back to the scripture that Scott read, I'd like to work on this 
this definition of worship. Um, as I said, this is an extensive topic, and we're just going to spend a f- today on it. I'm not making a whole series out of it or anything, but I encourage you to study and to read, to grow in your understanding of what it means to worship our God and to live in such a way as this. Um, there's three concepts that I hope will help us. A starting place for worship has to be God. Perhaps we might think, well, how do we do it? What do we do? What do we feel? Our focus really needs to be on God. It's not on what we're doing or not doing, what we're feeling or not feeling, or really anything else. The primary focus is on God, seeking Him, discovering Him, desiring Him, turning to Him. He is central to worship. He is central to worship. The focus of worship is God. Now this rises and falls on the Bible, on the scriptures. We need to seek him, pursue him. And, the, in, and where do we find him? In his word, mainly. That's where we find him. We make a choice, don't we? If we're going to engage in this, you've made a choice that God is important to you. You wouldn't be here otherwise. You wouldn't be interested. He's prominent in your life. And maybe we need to say even more than that. He's preeminent. In other words, he's the most important. He's not, the, he's not important. He's the most important. That's central to worship. So then, good theology, if you will, that is knowing God, understanding, working on who he is, a focus on God. This is the beginning of worship. I have a silly illustration. Bear with me. Some of you will appreciate it, others of you won't, but <laughs> in any case, pretend that you lived in an apartment in New York City. Has anybody ever done that? That's what I thought, but pretend. So you got tired of the apartment in New York City, that you can probably relate to, but you decided to, for, of a, in a change of pace, so you decided to move to an off-grid cabin somewhere in the middle of eastern Oregon. Change of pace. Just a little bit. You hired some movers. They loaded your stuff. They drove you out. And after unloading and driving away, suddenly you find yourself with a changed reality. Now, where would your focus be? If you planned on surviving this change of pace, your focus would need to be on this new reality and what it truly meant, what it truly is. Now, perhaps this isn't a great analogy, but that's the starting place. Our focus in worship needs to be on God, on who he is. That brings us to number two. If you'll remember these from last week, maybe you won't. I'll put them up here two or three times. Hopefully this is something we can take out the door with us, these three points. So number two is recognition. As we spend time with God, we learn that he is worth All the attention, the honor, the praise, the thanks, and whatever else. Actually, he's worth much more than we can give. And we recognize this. We recognize that we owe this to him. We begin to recognize what he is worth. As we know God more, remember he's the focus. He's the first point. We also begin to recognize our place better in worship. We begin to see that worship of God is our purpose in life. This is in relationship with him. We see our purpose in worshiping him. Remember the wise men. Matthew 2 verse 11 says, And falling to their knees, they worshiped him. 
That was because they recognized his worth. Now, a bit of a side note, but on this, this point of recognition, when we talk about worship, we could recognize worth in other places outside of God. We can give value where it's due, honor where honor's due, respect where it's due, etc. But as Christians, I think we reserve the worship. We reserve worship. When we say that word, we reserve that for God alone. It seems that in the Bible, when we see proper or godly worship, it is always directed to God or referring to things involved with worshiping God. Whenever worship is used in reference to anything else in the scripture, it's improper, it's ungodly. You'll remember the worship of the false beast or the dragon in Revelation, perhaps Artemis in, in Acts and other places, or the worship of creation. These are always a problem. A couple scriptures, Acts 10.25 Peter went to see Cornelius at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when it says this, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. So no man is worthy of worship. Revelation 19.10, John the Apostles with an angel. John's overwhelmed and says, Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. No angel is worthy of worship. You'll remember this one, Matthew 4.10. Jesus said to Satan after Satan worked him over, tempted him hard. He says to Satan, and he quotes an Old Testament passage, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God alone then is worthy we recognize that he alone, we recognize that he alone is worthy of worship. Remember that move you made from New York City to your off-grid cabin, your focus suddenly on your reality. By the way, off-grid, if you don't know, I mean no power unless you hook up a generator or some solar panels or something. You're, you're way out there. Your focus is on your reality. As you focus and make central the things of your reality, you begin to recognize a wide variety of circumstances that have either drastically changed, need attention, need learning about, or need action. You recognize what is going on. Now this brings us to point number three, and the last point. Learning about God and focusing on Him, then recognizing that He is worthy, it's now time to respond. We have a choice. We can be intentional in this response or not. In worshiping God, a right response, now hear this, a right response is one that attributes or ascribes worth to Him. A right response in worshiping God is one that attributes or ascribes proper worth to him. We focus on God as central. We recognize him to be worthy in various ways. Then we respond in our actions in ascribing or attributing worth to him. In other words, we agree with him, with God, that he is certain things and he has done certain things that are worthy now, how do we go about attributing worth to him? Well, you, you start thinking on that. 
We'll look at that in just a minute. Remember your new off-grid lifestyle. Well, you've got a lot, of, a lot to focus on. And as you do, you recognize what needs to be done or changed or accomplished. And for your new lifestyle to be a success, you have to respond to what you recognized. You have to start taking steps, practical steps in this new reality. So let's turn to Romans, if you're not already there, Romans 12. And this will help us out in, this three, in these three points. Now, these three points shouldn't be attributed to me, by the way. I think they come partly from Romans 12 and other people before me. Romans 12, 1. Scott just read that. Let me, let me just read it again. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, look at these three points one more time. These three points, I keep hammering on them, but let's look at them again. Romans, the first one is, is God is the focus, right? The focus of worship is God. Think about Romans what, what came before Romans 12? Well, Romans 1 through 11. If you spent time in Romans, you realize that Romans 1 through 11 is a treasure chest of theology, wonderful theology, full of revelation about Christ, about our salvation, about God and his program, some of the best descriptions and teachings about how God relates to us in Christ, how salvation works. These things are spelled out in these chapters the focus is on God. Now coming to Romans 12, verse 1, keeping that in mind, the focus has been on God. He is the central point of the, and the focus of our worship. As we come to point number two, recognition, we then break into verse 1. Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, with this theology, this great and deep and wonderful theology of 1 through 11. We come to verse 1 of chapter 12, and the author says, Therefore, based upon all this that we've just talked about, all these details about God and what He has and is doing for us, based upon these great truths about Christ and salvation, etc., in view of these mercies, in view of the mercies of God extended to us, recognizing, recognizing who God is, what he is worth, that he is worthy of our lives, and that brings us to our response. And the rest of the verse, as you've now spent time with God, recognizing his worth, then the, then the author goes on in the last part of verse 1, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Response. We now act upon the truths that we now know. So suddenly we see how true worship culminates. Action. Specifically, presenting our bodies. So it's everything about who we are and what we do in sacrifice. But not as the Old Testament sacrifice of burnt offerings and such, but it's a living offering. Isn't that interesting? This is how we attribute worth to God.
This is how we worship. In Romans 12, 1, the word that's translated worship here is latreia. Um, in, in the Greek, the word in this passage means worship. That's why you see it as worship. But it may be related to service to God. This act of worship here is service to God. Something owed to God, as in the law of Moses. They had to bring a sacrifice, didn't they? They had to slay an animal. That was service to God. They had, they had, something had to smell good, in other words, for God to accept their worship. But true worship now is a little different. Keeping that word in mind, that service, true worship has to do with offering ourselves as sacrifice. This is service to him. In fact, some of the older translations translated it as service, I think. Okay, well, that brings us to our word worship. If this helps us understand worship, what does worship, as far as an English word, mean to us? I think sometimes the definition can get lost or Maybe we ascribe it to something and, and, and end the definition there. We, but we need to think about that word a little bit. And I want you to think about it, if you will. Um, if you have a neighbor, now is a good time to pause for a minute and ask them, what do you think of when you think of worship? You can share, even if it's not, even if you know it's not, all-encompassing. If your answer isn't entirely true, that's fine. That's a good start. So share with your neighbor for just a minute what you think of when you think of worship. I'm sure you all have some great ideas. I wish I could hear them all. I hope that some of you actually said, well, I know this is not the full meaning, but this is what I think of when I think of worship. <laughs> Let's explore that word just a little bit. Behind our word worship is the word worthship. Now that might se seem a little goofy to us, but as the word comes down through the ages, there's words farther back that I don't know how to pronounce. And it, it was then in English worthship, and we've chopped out part of that word and changed it to worship. And then we define it how we define it. Well, if you think about that word, worship, what do you catch in there? Worth. It, it's not just incidental that that's there. That's what it has to do with. It's speaking about his worth. In worship, then, we are recognizing his worth. And then we are responding by attributing worth to him that he is due. Now remember, with this definition, only God is worthy of worship. Something we reserve for him alone. Listen to Donald Whitney in a couple of sentences when he talks about worship. He says, to worship God is to ascribe the proper worth to God, to magnify his worthiness of praise, or better, to approach and address God as he is worthy, as the holy and almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the sovereign judge to whom we must give an account. He is worthy of all the worth and honor we can give him and then infinitely more. 
So how do we respond properly in worship to our worthy God? Maybe something came out, hopefully, as you were whispering to one another about worship. Well, in your discussions with one another, I, I hope that it came beyond, well, I think of worship as um, good music. Now, that's awesome, and that's very true. And, and there's other aspects of worship that we might bring up, right? There we are. Um, but practically, how do we respond to God as being worth what he is? Worship needs to be practical. It needs to hit home in a real way for us. Now, if you were suddenly in eastern Oregon living off-grid, you would have a lot of things to work out in your new reality. A lot of things would hit home very fast, wouldn't they? For example, if you'd never owned a vehicle before, you'd always use public transportation, you'd walked, you'd biked, you'd never owned a vehicle. And now you live 100 miles from the nearest town. Well, your response to your reality, you need to determine how to get yourself a vehicle. Practically, you've got something to learn, something to do somewhat soon. Now, if we think about worship, in a general sense, a practical general sense, it pertains to all of life, doesn't it? Giving of our bodies, the offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1. I would think this speaks to our lives, to everything we do. Worship then is life. Actions, words, thoughts. It's an attitude that we come to everything with. Everything we are engaged in then it should be approached with an attitude of making him known, ascribing worth to him. <coughs> making him more important than any other thought or thing at each juncture in life. Did you catch that? Making him not just important, another high piece, or when I feel like it, or when it works out, I'll think about God, or when I come to church, or some such thing. Making him more important than any other thought or thing at each juncture of life. Not just prominent, but preeminent. Listen to Jerry Benjamin. He says, if I were to say to my wife, sweetie, you are prominent in my affections, it would probably engender uncertainty rather than encourage assurance because, obviously, her first thought would be, well, who else is prominent in your heart? Preeminence, however, conveys the truth that there is no one else, the one and only. In proper worship, God is preeminent in all aspects of our life all aspects of our life. Jesus says in John chapter 4, speaking to the woman at the well, that worship is done in spirit and in truth. Worship is not anymore limited to the temple or to the holy places, but it's done in spirit. I think that's what he means there. We can and should worship God anywhere at all times. Doesn't this make sense in light of Romans 12:1? Offering your bodies. You don't just do that when you come to church or when you're in your Bible study or when you're listening to music or something. Dwayne got us going again. In specific, I think there's a couple of things we should mention about worship in our lives. 
For one, corporate worship. Part of our worship is not just private, but corporate. It's public. This is a necessary part of worship. Hebrews 10.25 exhorts us to not forsake meeting together. That is why we gather here today in worship, in a worship service. It's why we sing together. Our songs are proclaiming truths and responding to those in thanks and praise. This is done together. It's also why we come together around the teaching of the word and study during this time, listening, thinking, submitting to the Spirit's work in us. We worship together around the teaching of the word. This necessary corporate worship time, it includes other things, doesn't it? Giving, prayer, eating together, encouragement, celebrations, and other aspects of life that we share together in worship of our God. He is worthy of our corporate worship. What about personal worship as a specific piece of worship in our lives? Matthew Henry says, Public worship will not excuse us from secret worship. We're talking about your personal time with the Lord in His Word, studying Him, your time with Him in prayer and meditation, communion with Him. This is important. This is a big part of worshiping Him. Bring it down to specifics in your context. It looks differently for each of us. But be honest with yourself. Make it specific for you. Offer yourselves to Him in personal or private worship. I just want to mention, and you know this, but worship comes from the heart. That's what is behind worship. In other words, is God preeminent in your heart? Our worship really indicates where our heart is, our devotion, where our, our devotion and attention, our commitments are. If not, it's really not worship anymore. Now, we looked at the essence of our worship being our very lives, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God because He is worthy. It touches on all we say, all we do, all we think. But in this vein, we should be aware that our worship can be done wrongly. Worship can be false. False worship is not uncommon in the history of humanity, by the way. Um, just for a couple examples, Isaiah 29:13. It says this, the Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. And human rules direct their worship of me. And then Jesus quotes this very passage later in Matthew 15 as he speaks about the spiritual leaders of, of his day. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine human commands. This is worship in form only. Taking action, responding, but based upon laws and rules, not a heart for truth. This is legalism. True worship, as spoken of in Romans 12, comes from the heart. In fact, the beginning of Romans, the, in chapter 1, verse 25, there's, it exemplifies worship done wrongly. 
And, and it says there, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. So we could check ourselves with this question. What am I worshiping? Where is my heart? And we can answer the question by examining where our attention, our energies, our commitments, our time, our money, where are these things headed? We can give worth to something that is truly not worth it in worship. We can ascribe too much worth to other stuff in our life, right? It could be anything, money, other things, dreams, memories, hobbies, nature itself, people. Maybe the hardest one is me. I can ascribe a whole lot more worth to me than I'm worth. Now, it's not at all to say that these things don't have all these options in life. They don't have true value. Some of them certainly do. But we must evaluate what that value truly is based upon God's standard, upon God's word. Any of these things should not supplant God as the only and true object of our worship. So where is your heart on the matter? What are you worshiping truly? Now, true worship does not have to, should not be, maybe it is not a drudgery. You catch that? It's not a drudgery. There is delight and joy in focusing on God, recognizing Him for who He is, responding properly to that. Really, God is not trying to take, our, take away our fun in life. As Paul said in Sunday school, there's some, um, we, we shouldn't sit around thinking about those who are having fun and we're not. And somebody out there is having fun, but I'm not. Well, that's not what God is after. In fact, I think, if you will, God is where the fun really is at. We were created to worship Him. We were created for this. Psalm 84.4 says, How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. So if you just moved to an off-grid cabin in eastern Oregon from a New York City apartment, you would need to focus on and recognize your new reality. You would need to respond with practical steps if you were to survive and thrive in the situation there. In like manner, we were created to focus on God, to recognize His worth, and respond with our lives. This is thriving Christianity. Come back to these three concepts again with me. Thinking about these three points of worship, we should notice that all three are important continually. And maybe you could think of them as working best as circular points. They come back around. They point at each other. They bounce back and forth. So in other words, as we continually keep the focus of our worship and our Christian lives on God. He is the focus. He is central. Therefore, we're learning of Him. We're continually discovering Him. We're discussing Him. We're seeking Him. The Bible is the primary means of this focus as God's revelation to us that we might know Him and the things of Him. We are in process, but we're all theologians. Now, thank God, this is done in relationship with him. It's not just an academic subject. We talk with him in prayer. 
We see him revealed in his mighty works of creation. And we seek him in his word. Circling through these three points, we are always recognizing then the things of God, new things. We're being reminded of things that we forgot. And we're building in how we relate to him. We're recognizing more. We grow in our recognition of him. And this too, thank the Lord, is done in relationship with a loving God. And then lastly, the third point, circling around, touching on each other. We are constantly making choices, growing in our response to God. As we know God more and recognize his worth, we improve in our response, in attributing worth to him properly. And this too is couched in relationship with him. So our worship then is defined by these three points, working together, circling back to one another, constantly informing each other. I think that each one of you could add to this discussion. As a Christian, you can add to this, and you should. Not right now, but as you bring it to your families and your small groups, your Bible studies, etc., you can flesh out this topic more. Probably we need to do this more often with each other because each one of us is responsible for worship in our own life and in our own context. I just want to finish. If you, can, if you can read that, I would like to read it together and then we'll, we'll finish with a song. Um, so this is Psalm 95, 1 through 7. Let's, if you would, read it out loud with me. It says, Come, let's joy shoutfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands form the dry land. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you that you are worthy. Thank you that you don't strike us down for not responding like we should. Thank you that we can live in, mercy, in a cloud of mercy. We, we, we need it. We wouldn't survive without it. I pray that we would understand the joy, the delight, I know I need to grow in this, of worshiping you, of living our lives in worship, every piece, every, every thought, every deed, every word, that we would worship you in joy. Thank you for creating us to know you, to be in relationship with you. And even though we're not worthy, we can and we are bless each one now as we ponder these thoughts, focusing on you, recognizing you, responding with our lives. And as we go home here in a few minutes, just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.